Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson continues his series titled Checkbox with Part 8, Check Perspective. Our status in life can skew our perspective, which affects how we see and treat ourselves and others. To maintain a proper perspective, there is something we must know and something we must not do. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. We continue in James chapter 1. Uh, this series where we've hopefully been checking some boxes as James uh, relays some qualities and characteristics uh, that he deems is necessary for us to um, have as a part of our life to practically live out the Christian life. And so this morning I want to talk about perspective. So hopefully we can check this box and every quality, the, the, the goal is that we could check a box to indicate we have that quality or we want that quality, we need that quality. And this morning we're going to talk about perspective, having the proper perspective in life. I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline and the point here at the beginning, and then we'll try to break it down a little bit. As believers, as people of faith who desire to live out our faith well, our perspective has to be based on the spiritual and not the material. We have to be spiritually minded rather than materially minded. Or if we can say it this way, our perspective must be based on who we have and not what we have. James relays this common scenario for us. And this scenario will illustrate or, or determine how we see and treat ourselves, how we see and treat others, and how we see and treat what we would deem as very important. Imagine this, if you would, just a car wreck where there's four or five or six witnesses that saw the car accident. When the officers come to get the statements of all these witnesses, all these witnesses have a different account. They don't agree. Why is that? Well, it's because they all come from a different perspective. One witness was seeing the accident from the back, so their only perspective is that angle that they can see. One witness saw the accident from the front, so they have a completely different angle, completely different perspective. Maybe one person didn't actually see the accident, they just heard a big crash, and so they turn, so their only perspective is from what happened from that point on. Maybe somebody's a really good friend of somebody in the accident, so that kind of skews their perspective a little bit. The issue that these Statements don't agree or concur. Maybe some of them were completely inaccurate. It's because their perspective was wrong. And it's possible to come up with the wrong conclusion if your perspective is skewed or wrong or not complete. This is what we see as James relates in this passage is that our status in life can skew our perspective. Our wealth or our lack of wealth can influence our perspective, which influences how I see and treat myself, how I see and treat others, and what I deem as really important and valuable. So James is going to help us tweak our perspective. So let's pick it up here in chapter 1, verse 9. James says, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich 
should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Here, James is speaking very specifically and immediately to the status of life, to those who are poor and those who are rich. He uses the word humble circumstances. A lot of times in scripture, humble means meek. It's a spiritual connotation. Here it's not. Here it's a physical connotation. He's talking about those who are considered poor. We know that because he contrasts it with the rich. Chapter uh, two, verse five, he says, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world? So we know for sure he's talking about those who are considered rich, those who are considered poor. So James addresses both of these types of people and he's advising those with little means as well as those with great means to either alter their perspective or to be sure they maintain the proper perspective. And here is the proper perspective. Verse nine, those in humble circumstances should take great pride in their high position. But verse 10, those who are rich should take pride in their low position. That word pride does not mean arrogance here. It's a different word. It means to rejoice. It means to take great joy in. What James is trying to say here is your material circumstances should have a spiritual twist to it. It's important to see our physical and material circumstance and situation from a spiritual point of view, that we should be spiritually minded, not materially minded, that we have to understand that's really what is important is what comes from God, not what comes from the world. In other words, our perspective has to be who we have, not what we have. Now, back in the day when this was written, the rich had all the power. They had all the influence. They had the prestige. They had the position. Uh, they were the owners, the CEOs, the CFOs. Uh, they were the ones that were the shakers and the movers of the communities. The rich, on the other hand, had no influence and no power and no position. They were the workers and the servants. So because of that, the rich got all the preferential treatment, but the poor were mistreated. We see this played out in chapter two, verse one. James says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a great seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I had a youth pastor when I was in youth ministry. A youth pastor decided that he wanted to illustrate this passage, so he recruited a, a teenager from another church and had him dressed up as real homeless, poor, and, and real needy, and coming to his youth group so he, one, could see how the youth group would react, and then he could, could teach from that illustration. I also knew of a, a senior pastor that was going to a new church. And before he went, he wanted to see how, his, how this church you know, dealt with people. And so he kind of did the undercover boss thing, and he dressed himself up as this poor, needy, homeless guy, and he just went to that church service. Nobody knew who he was just to sit in, just to see how the people would react to him. Now, we're not going to do that. I'm not even advocating that, but it made a good point to see how the rich get that preferential treatment. In this day, historically, the rich were perceived as more valuable than the poor. 
And that affected not only how they saw the people, but even how people saw themselves. The result was it caused some people to think they were really something because they had something. But it caused those to think they were nothing because they had nothing. And so having the wrong perspective begins to affect how we see ourselves and how we see others and how we treat them. So James is writing to believers to say, your perspective needs to be different than that. With all that as a backdrop, I want to begin to broaden this concept a little bit. I want you to put yourself in this passage. And if you were in this passage, who would you more identify with? The rich or the poor? It adds a deeper question to me is that is when is somebody considered rich <clears throat> or when is someone considered poor? If you were to ask, if you were to ask me, Daryl, are you a good golfer? My answer would be, it depends. <laughs> if it's a scratch golfer or a professional golfer looking at me and you ask them, they're going to say, no, they're awful. He's awful. If you ask somebody that's never played golf before, they're going to say, yeah, he's pretty good. Why? It's a matter of perspective. Now, you relate that to rich or poor. The biggest question, the first question that hit my mind is, when are you considered rich? We might look at a millionaire and say, man, he's a millionaire, he's rich. But Michael Dell, who's worth $31 billion, would look at a millionaire and say, he's not rich, I'm rich. But Bill Gates, who's worth $105 billion, would look at Michael Dell and say, he's not rich, I'm rich. So where's the line? I wanna say this because we're gonna move away here in just a moment from just this material wealth because there's a, there's a bigger dynamic taking place here, I think. Back to our passage in verses nine and 10. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. James's point here is not to allow your circumstance in life to determine your worth and your value and your importance and your influence. Because that wrong perspective will skew how you think about yourself. And to put it in the poor and rich terms as James is using, those who might consider themselves poor because of their lack, they may struggle with inferiority. Whereas those who, because of their surplus, might struggle with superiority. The poor might struggle with self-abasement while the rich struggle with self-exaltation. The poor may say, because of my situation, God can't use me. Whereas the rich may say, because of their situation, I don't need God. I can do it on my own. So some people are thinking a lot less of themselves than they should, and some are thinking a lot more of themselves than they should. So James begins to, to introduce something much deeper here than just material circumstance. And this is where I want to make the application this morning. Here's where I really want to camp out and have us think about. Not necessarily poor and rich materially. That's, that's a framework for something that may be deeper in many of our hearts. The rich represents a type of person and the poor represent a type of person. In this application, the poor represent those of us who struggle with inferiority or insignificance or self-abasement. Thinking that we can't be used by God because of our situation or we think that we're unimportant in the scheme of the bigger picture. The poor, on the other hand, they represent those of us who struggle with superiority 
or self-exaltation or self-reliance. I can do this without God and we have this higher esteem. So as we go through this, I want you just to think about yourself. That's why I wanted you to put yourself in the passage. Not necessarily am I poor or rich materially, but which type do I identify with? Am I the one that identifies more with that struggle of inferiority and insignificance and unimportance? Or do I struggle with this superiority and the self-exaltation? Regardless of which one, at times maybe it's both based on perspective. But in both categories, there's something that that group of people need to know and not do. So let's look at the poor first. Okay, we're talking about those of us that struggle with inferiority or insignificance, etc. Here's something that you need to know. You need to know who you are and what you have in Christ. If you're feeling insignificant, you need to realize who you are and what you have in Christ. That's why it says in verse 9, those of humble circumstances take pride, rejoice in your high position. Some in that day envied those who were rich. They longed to be rich. They idolized the rich. That's why they gave preferential treatment to the rich. But what James is trying to remind them of is you are rich, but you have a different kind of riches. And it's important to be spiritually minded and not materially minded. He's trying to shift their perspective to help them understand that you may not have much materially, but you are rich in Christ. And that's the type of riches that really matter. He's trying to remind them that they are a child of the king. Chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of this world to inherit the kingdom that he's promised to those who love him? Galatians 4, 7 tells us that God has made you an heir. Romans 8, 17 says we are heirs with God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In other words, we actually have the firstborn son inheritance, the double portion inheritance. We have the riches that God has for us. Ephesians 2, 6 says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. When Jesus Christ ascended, we know he went to the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms. And so we now, figuratively speaking, are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. That's why James says, take pride in your high position because we are seated up in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.1 says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have the riches of Christ. We have everything that God is, everything that God has. And so James is trying to, to talk to these people who think they're insignificant and unimportant because of their status, that you are rich in Christ. What you lack materially, you have spiritually. Again, chapter 2, verse 5, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of this world to be rich in faith? He's reminding them that they are rich and they have riches that will not rot, will not corrode, will not be lost, will not be stolen. So here's the point of application for us this morning. In times where you struggle, if you struggle with inferiority or insignificance, those times when you might become depressed or discouraged by what you don't have. Remember what you have in Christ. And what you have in Christ is far more valuable 
than anything you could have in this world. Here's what you don't need to do. You don't need to underestimate your potential and impact. Just because you may not be, in fact, in this time when this is written, that was a problem with those that did not have much. They felt like they could not do anything because they didn't have the means. So if you're in those times where you think because of your lack of wealth or lack of status or lack of position or lack of influence that you really cannot be used as God, don't think that because you can be used by God in some of the greatest ways. That's why he says in verse, chapter 2, verse 5, God uses the poor in the eyes of the world. In other words, those people that the world may discard as useless or insignificant, they can have the greatest impact in the world. Remember the disciples? Many of those who were uneducated, they were not wealthy, they didn't have positions of influence or power, but they turned the world upside down when they allowed Christ to use them. Remember the boy with two fish and five loaves? He didn't have much. But he said, what I have, I give to you. And so Jesus takes this meager amount of food and he does the miraculous. He uses this young boy to do the miraculous when the boy was willing to give what little he had. And that's still what God does for us. Does for us. We may not have very much. We may have little. But if we'll give our little to him, God will do the miraculous in us and through us. Remember the four men who lowered the man down through the roof into the, the room so Jesus could touch and heal their friend? They were so insignificant, they're not even named. We don't know who they are. But God used them to change the life of their friend, to connect them with Jesus. And God will do the same thing with you. If you'll, if you'll have that passion for your friends, God will use you to have that type of influence that Christ can impact your friend. Remember the widow who gave two mites into the offering? We might say two pennies. Nothing. But it's all she had. She was poor, but she gave all she had. And as Jesus and the disciples are, walk, are watching people walk by and all these rich people just dumping in tons of cash, it's this woman who caught the eye of Jesus. She's the one in Scripture. So if you're here and you struggle with that lack of position, if this is you, don't underestimate how God will use you and impact your world, and the world for Christ. That's the way God works. Let's look at the other group now, the group that James classifies as the rich. Here we're talking about those of us that struggle with the other end. We struggle with superiority and self-exaltation and self-reliance because I have all the means and I have all the power and I have all the influence, so I'm, I'm really something pretty special. Those of us, James has a word for us as well. And the first thing is what we need to know is who we are and who, what we have without Christ. <laughs> See, some need to realize who they are, what they have in Christ because they're struggling with that. But others, we need to realize who we are and what we have apart from Christ because it's a different dynamic. That's why he says in verse 10, those who are rich should rejoice and take pride in their low position to realize who they are without Christ. Verse 17 tells us that every good and perfect work comes from God. We're going to deal with that verse later in the series. But it reminds us that everything we have comes from God. Now, yeah, you may have worked really hard for what you have. You may have some talents and you may have 
done a lot of things, gotten some education. You, you're a part of the process to bring you to where you are in your status in life. But the bottom line ultimately is it's a blessing of God and God has placed you in that position and given you the tools and the ability to be there. So you have to remember that everything that you have comes from God. Verse 11 reminds us that what you have can be taken away in a heartbeat. He gives three word pictures here in verse 11 to remind us what can happen with our wealth and our influence and our power. It can be like the heat when it withers the plant. It shrivels it up and it dries it up and it can just be gone in a heartbeat. He says it's like a blossom that falls. There were a couple of plants back in this day in that area that would, would bloom in season that have beautiful blooms, but it only lasts for a couple of weeks and then they're gone. We have some, some, some plants in our backyard that have beautiful blossoms, a rose of Sharon and a, a rose bush and some other plant. I have no idea what it is. I don't even know what it's called, but some just beautiful, these beautiful blossoms come up, but in a couple of weeks they're gone and they never come back until the next year. That's what he's trying to say is what you have can be gone just like that. Beauty is destroyed. It's gone. In verse 12, he even reminds us that even us can be gone just like that. Just like our wealth and influence and position can, can be gone in a heartbeat, so can we. 1 Peter 1.24 says, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. In chapter 5, he reminds us that our wealth is fleeting, it's temporary. The gold and silver will corrode. Our wealth will rot and be destroyed. It sounds like kind of a gloomy picture here, but it's not because what he's trying to remind us of is regardless of my material status and my positional status and my status of influence in this world, it makes no difference if it's not committed to Christ because he's the giver of those things. And here's what we don't do with that wealth and influence. Don't underutilize that wealth and influence. Here's what was going on back in this day. In chapters 2 and chapter 5, uh, he gives us some insight to the worldly rich. Not believers, but those in the world that were, had all the money and all the influence and all the power. And the way that they used their wealth and influence says that they would hoard it for themselves. They would just hang on to it. They would use it for themselves and on themselves. They would fatten themselves, if you will. It was used just for themselves. Or they would use all that wealth and influence to exploit the needy, to use and mistreat the poor and the needy. And so James is saying here, do not use your wealth and influence for that. Instead, in verse 8, use it to love your neighbor. Do what you have, use what you have to love people and use what you have to impact the kingdom and to build God's kingdom, not your own. Matthew 6, in verse 19, Jesus gives us this word as part of his sermon. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's what he's trying to say to those who have the wealth and the influence. Don't use it on yourself. Don't think so highly of yourself and keep it to yourself and think you're significant in and of yourself. Instead, use what God has blessed you with. Use what God has given you and turn around 
and use it to build the kingdom. Use it to impact people. Use it to love on people. Use it to make a difference. So here's the bottom line. Let me wrap up. I kind of come back to the punchline I gave to you at the beginning. Whether you're a person of material means or not, life is about perspective. And it's about either altering our perspective if it's wrong or maintaining the perspective if it's right. And the perspective is that our joy, our purpose, our sense of accomplishment, our sense of value and worth and importance and influence, it does not and it should not come from the world. It should come from God. Our perspective should be set on the spiritual and not on the material. We get our sense of self-worth and our impact and our usefulness, the way I see myself and treat myself, the way I see others and treat others should be based on who I have, not what I have. But I should use what I have to make a difference. Because here's the truth. God will mightily use anyone who will surrender themselves and their stuff to God. So rejoice in who you are in Christ today. Whether you're a person of great means, a person of some means, or as Roger Miller says, a man of means by no means. <laughs> Let God have you. Let God have your stuff and use it to impact people and use it to impact the kingdom. Let's pray. I'm just gonna ask the Spirit to speak to you this morning because this, to be honest, is kind of a weird passage. It has some unusual application. but I know that the Spirit speaks very clearly, so I'm just gonna ask as we continue to, to pray and worship here in a moment that the Spirit would say to you very clearly, 